You've hit play on the Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. I always maintain that this audio show, at its core, is about lending a helpful hand to those wanting to vet a particular flick from their past, or an entirely new one in a new genre, before they add it to their viewing queue. This episode deals with a touchy subject that'll make some listeners groan at its mere mention. No, I'm not talking black and white classics, though TSC will get to that topic eventually. This episode is about foreign movies with subtitles. It's a slog for many of us, and the mud is full of abandoned camping gear, miles from the end of the trail where the credits are rolling with all those funny names. Well, if you're intimidated or possibly had a bad experience with movies that make you read everything they're saying, I think it's time to give subtitles a real shot, and we've got just the right targets for your excursion into foreign film territory. City of God, Let the Right One In, and The Raid. John, Andrew, and me, your heuristic host, are serving up these three fine choices for you to broaden your cinematic horizons with some international flavors. Let's start with City of God, the uh, most perplexing out of these three movies for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's, that's how you, oh, okay, that's, how, that's what you meant earlier when you were saying, I have opinions. It's a good uh, introduction, it gets people drawn into what we're doing here. It's definitely the most art housey of the three. Before I have you get into the meat and potatoes of City of God, let's just talk generally about foreign films and subtitles. And Andrew, tell me your relationship with them. If you always liked them, is it an acquired taste? What's your deal? I think I've always been okay with them. When I was a kid, of course, it's like, oh, reading, I don't want to do that. But the first one that I really remember seeing and enjoying was when I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in the theaters. We went for the subtitled show, and that was my first time sitting through an entire film with subtitles that I remember. I really like the movie. It's not one of my favorites, but it's definitely great. And then I went longer without a whole lot of subtitles, and then not to out myself too hard as a dweeb but then when i got into like high school and early college i started watching a little bit more anime i'm a subs over dubs guy so yeah i've always i've always enjoyed them because it's a different way of telling stories cuz they're just different tropes and different story beats i feel for example, I, you know, everyone is just, oh, Game of Thrones, you know, don't get too close to the characters because they might die off at any moment. But then, you know, if you watch like an anime like Attack on Titan, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. And that's, but that's how anime typically is, is they might kill off characters when you least expect it. There's something wonderfully off kilter about foreign stuff that you can really depend on. Just a different viewpoint. It's uh, their... They're afraid of different things than we are. They have different outlooks on life than we do. It's just a window to someone else's point of view. And John, are you a, a subs over dubs guy? 
I'd, I'd say yeah, subs over dubs, because like a lot of the dubs try to match up the mouth movement and will change aspects of something. Plus, like I grew up on Godzilla movies, and they would change the stories all the time with the dubs, so I want to see what the original intent was with the subs. For the hell of it, when I was uh, re-watching Let the Right One In, I tried the dubs. For some reason, they changed the dialogue when it didn't match what the English subtitles were, and I, I can't figure out why they would change the dialogue at all if you could understand it the way they, they had it in the subtitles. You know, why didn't they match? I'm not sure. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about, of, of like changing the story. Yeah, almost seems just needless. Who knows? <laughs> uh, well, what were some of your early exposures to foreign films, John? I remember as a little kid, like when I was like five, my mom rented me Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind from the local video store, and I fell in love with that movie. What's that about? It's a Studio Ghibli film about the environmental disasters. But in, in that Studio Ghibli type of way where everything's cutesy despite everything's also murderous, I highly suggest it. It was my first real anime, and so I also fell in love with anime. Like, Dragon Ball Z, everyone my age, Dragon Ball Z is like baby's first anime, as far as that stuff goes. That was this baby's first anime, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have to admit, I was not a fan of subtitled flicks and it took me a while to to really start to appreciate them i think it mainly coincided with when i just felt like branching out of the movies and shows i knew and just had more of a curiosity about international stuff i guess it started with uh with doctor who because it's just so so out there and the sensibility is different in the humor and the presentation that it made me go, oh, I wonder what other foreign stuff I could get into. When you guys are discussing foreign films with friends, do you think that it's much more accepted now, or do you still see some hesitance to get on board with subtitles? I'd say, like, here in San Francisco, yeah, it's way more accepted. It's, it is an international market. And you can go to theaters that exclusively do subtitle movies here. I mean, with my friends, it doesn't seem to be an issue. Other people in general that I speak to, I've never... I mean, I've, I've encountered people who are like, oh, I don't want to read a movie. Um, but they're usually not people that I speak to very often, if that sounds okay. Like, I know that's kind of like a like a jerk thing to say, but it's true. You know, I kind of don't... It's not like I write someone off right away. It's just more like my friends are either more movie buffs in the sense that they'll be willing to watch anything or they don't really care enough to be bothered by subtitles because they don't watch a whole lot anyway. So that's kind of my experience with it. San Francisco and L.A. are just so multicultural that it's nothing to see a movie that's in an entirely different language. I mean, you guys get that just walking out every day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. John, how many movies in your diet would you say, what portion are subtitled movies? 
uh, I don't know, probably 10%, maybe. It depends. Like, I I currently really enjoy Korean cinema, so I try to get as much of that in as I can. And they make some weird movies, which are great. Uh, I mean, really, like, I don't go too out of my way to watch subtitled films or foreign films. It's something that has to kind of catch my eye for one reason or another. Like, I don't, I, I don't wake up thinking, all right, time to watch, you know, something from Bollywood. Like, I won't go on HBO and start browsing, you know, foreign films just to find something. I just don't go out of my way to do it. So let's get into these fine films we've picked today for our recommended foreign films subtitles. Yay. Uh, the first movie, I had a dual purpose in picking what order we would do these in. Initially, I realized they're in chronological order, but after seeing all three, I realized they're also, I feel, in order of how they should be recommended. Yeah, okay. <laughs> There's a mountain for you to climb, Andrew, so go ahead. Uh... <laughs> All right, hear that, everyone? (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, for the movie that the host thinks is the worst, um, I picked City of God. It's a Brazilian movie about watching these kids go through the 60s and the 70s, and they're in this place called the City of God. It's just this slum where families who lost their homes due to flooding and other homeless are sent there because the government doesn't want to deal with anything. There are a lot of gangsters there just trying to get by, and these kids and these communities are just wrapped up in it. It's one of those movies where there's no real plot to it. It's a gangster flick, is the simple way to put it. Watching it, it made me think a lot of Goodfellas, because it it covers a lot of years. The, The storytelling is just moving along. And the the subject matter, like you said, is gangsters. The crux of my fascination with your choice, Andrew, is what struck you as being good characteristics of this film for people new to subtitles. Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) All right. When I saw your guys' picks, I wanted to go south of the border because I didn't want to pick the same continent as you guys. City of God, like, it's all dialogue for the most part. There's a lot of action and a lot of screen stuff, but if you want to know what's happening in the movie, you got to be willing to read. It's a deep-end choice. I agree. (laughs) I feel like if you can get past the subtitles on this type of movie, you can watch any foreign film after it because of how much reading you have to do. I think Goodfellas is a great comparison because a lot of things just happen real fast you can't lose focus you have to watch it it definitely is a deep end foreign film where you gotta go in yeah and i know that this was supposed to be i i know that you probably intended this to be entry level frank but it's a deep end pick it's got everything in it so if you don't like it you're not going to want to continue what a trial by fire you're so harsh with our audience yeah (laughs) yeah i am (laughs) i mean it's just dive in It's just a movie. If you don't like it that much, turn it off. (laughs) Done and done. (laughs) Okay, well, that's something for listeners to remember if somebody asks them for a recommendation. 
I'll say this. It is broken up into almost vignettes with each, like, chapters, I guess would be, when it has the little subtitle come up and tell you about this character and you go off with that character for a little while. That just illustrates how much reading is involved. Even when the characters aren't talking, they're putting words (laughs) in the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Touche, sir. Touche. I saw the raid first, and it really hit that sweet spot for not too much taxing dialogue. And then I finished that and went, okay, you know, I'm going my merry way. Let's do City of God. And then it just felt like rapid fire text balloons. I actually paused a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, oh my God, how could Andrew do this to me? (laughs) Yeah. I know it's not the best choice for people who are easing into it, but if you can handle this, you can handle any of them. Reading aside, I think your choice is very admirable in the sense that there's so much going on in this movie visually and just with the variety of characters that while you're watching it and trying to do the dialogue, if you start to fatigue and say, I don't know if I want to keep going with this, there's too much reading, and then you see somebody get blown away, or some hot chick on screen, and you say, "Eh, maybe I'll keep with it. (laughs) After saying that, now I'm going to sound like I was totally disingenuous because I have to admit to you guys, I did not actually finish this movie. Oh. Oh, my. You didn't like it that much? Correct. It's the uh, first movie in the history of this show where I couldn't finish it. But I'll say I couldn't finish it because it was definitely a personal thing of gangster movies just really aren't in my wheelhouse. But anybody who does like gangster movies, and I think it's, it's inherent in this discussion in all these movies, you have to like the genre it's in initially beyond the subtitles. You know, that's, that's ha- that has to be part of it. So while I didn't get too much out of it, and I stopped a little past the halfway mark, it's also the longest movie out of these three. I stopped at the halfway point, but I had seen enough of it, and I wanted to definitely include it in this, because I recognize it. it's definitely a well-made film. I can understand why it got all the attention it did when it came out, but it's just not for me. Well, I guess that's the last time I'm ever on this podcast. It was nice being here with you guys. Um, Thanks for coming. Jesus. <laughs> I'll just sign off and, you know, um, nice knowing you, Frank. And nice meeting you, John. It's nice meeting Jesus. you, sir. <laughs> I, I thought it was engaging. I definitely wanted to stick around to the end because of all the, uh, uh, like I said earlier, with the side character stuff. Like every, it, was, it was like a new little story that added to the greater whole. Plus, it felt like... A, almost a war documentary the way everything went down and the way it was shot so I was all in when you watch a foreign film you want to get immersed in that part of the world and get an idea a feeling for the culture and the way they live and the, the between the locations and the the clothing and just the way they looked and just how diverse that area actually is um, I give kudos to it for that yeah, like, I've seen actual footage from, like, news footage. It looked just like the movie did. 
And it is based on a true story, so it makes sense. I'm a little curious, Andrew, um, having grown up in L.A. and lived there when this movie came out. I understand it's not a Spanish-language film, but it is Latin American. Uh, Did you hear anybody in your neighborhood or at school talk about it at all? Um, As much as I appreciate you making it sound like I'm straight out of the hood, (laughs) um, I am in L.A. County, and I, I am in a very diverse area, but I also went to private school. So, no. I didn't hear about this movie until like 10, 12 years ago when I first watched it. This movie came out in 2000, was it 2004? Two. Back in 2002, everyone was talking about like, what was it, Freaking Attack of the Clones? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, there were other movies on my, you know, 13-year-old mind at the time. I'm thinking about it, uh, unless you watched Attack of the Clones in Portugal. I don't think there's any Portuguese in that movie. (laughs) No. (laughs) Since we are talking about foreign movies, uh, when you watch it, are there any particular aspects that really play with your sensibilities coming at it as an American viewer? It's a different type of gangster movie, because when we have gangster movies, I think typically they're kind of like glamorized mafia flicks, um, like The Godfather, Goodfellas. I mean, even, even though he's not mafia mafia, you have Scarface, which um, is okay. Um, so Controversy. It's, it's okay. Because <laughs> I like a good gangster movie. You know, they can take these very unsavory characters and breathe this life into them, make them likable, or make them just the most hateable people ever. Because with City of God, Lil Dice, who eventually becomes Lil Zay, he's completely hateable. Like, I hated him with a, 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 the passion of a thousand sons. It was, he's despicable, and I was glad to see him get his at the end of the movie. It is a story about people living in this place just run by gangs, cruel people, but there is that point in the middle of the film where, like, honestly, the neighborhood is very secure because of the gangsters running it, like how it kind of used to be here in the States. Especially in Las Vegas old time, you could walk the street at night and not get mugged. There are a lot of shallow graves because the mafia protected the people coming by to spend their money. Something very international about City of God, beyond what you see on screen, that really struck me as significant, is its portrayal of crime, how early these kids start. And you just really get a sense that they grew up with it. It invades every aspect of their lives. I've never seen an American film show, I think, the cycle of violence and, and gangs as well as City of God has. Because it is a universal thing for that type of life, but I think this movie showed it the best. John, what were some of the most impactful scenes in this movie for you? The big one, I feel, for everybody is like the beginning with uh, little, little Dice finds out he just loves to murder people as a small child, and he goes into that hotel slash brothel and finishes everyone off. 
And not in the way people typically are at brothels. <laughs> As he shoots people and they died, not to, to, get, to get away from any uh, innuendo. Thank you, John, for that beautiful setup. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice softball over the plate for you. We haven't actually spoken in a while, but I see we haven't skipped a beat. <laughs> the rapport is still here. <laughs> yeah. I found that moment with the runts, uh, Little Dice, has one of the runts shoot another one. That was pretty uh, engaging and just uncomfortable, seeing this little kid cry. And I, I guess he's, he is acting, but he seems like he's really crying, too. Well, I think you'd be crying, too, if you were in those circumstances. But the actual child... I wonder if he was separating it in his mind that he's crying for the camera, or did they pinch him before the take started? Honestly, they probably did do something to make him cry, because it looks really genuine. But I'd like to think that they probably handed him a bowl of ice cream and then took it away from him right as they began to shoot. <laughs> it was probably the most harmless thing to get him to cry, but he just doesn't know any better. Because I looked into this movie a little bit, and I guess they hardly had any professional actors cast in this film. Really? And it's crazy, because I don't feel like you could really tell, and maybe that's because it's a foreign film, like, we don't know the language, so we don't know if someone's acting really well or not. And they hired people from the slums that they were depicting. A similar situation to The Wire using Baltimore natives in their uh, episodes. Who's got it worse, the Baltimore people or those poor actors? It looks so dry, almost like a desert. Yeah, they're, they're just out in the boonie boonies. The stifling heat, and everybody is covered in sweat in every scene. It's hot down there. Very hot. Muy caliente. <laughs> Which... Not even the right language, but yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. It's as close as I can get. <laughs> it's as close as the Portuguese we can get. <laughs> exactly. Even though Frank didn't finish it, he says it's a well-crafted movie. Like, it looks great. It's a very well-made film. Don't let the subtitles put you off. Yeah. I, I mean, that's always our, our feeling on the show. Give it a shot. Give it a try. Moving on to Let the Right One In, Swedish film from 2008. This was my pick. I would summarize the story, the very simple story, as this boy in 80s Sweden is getting bullied a lot, and he meets a, a vampire child that has moved into his building, and they connect over their respective feelings of isolation and everything else that happens in the movie kind of gets hung off of that main relationship between the two it's the antithesis of city of god there isn't a lot of dialogue it really relies on the visuals to tell most of the story i got a very uh, john carpenter feel as far as the camera didn't move too much it just stayed in place, let things play out on the screen. What dialogue you do have to read, there aren't too many characters, and there isn't a ton of action happening on screen that you feel like you're really 
dividing your attention between the words and seeing what they relate to as they're happening. So that's why I think it would be a good one for people who uh, want to get into subtitles. Andrew, what did you think of it? Movie was trash. <laughs> I didn't finish. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> no, it it was an enjoyable movie. It was cute. I think that's how I would put it, honestly. It was kind of a cute little love story mixed with some pretty graphic violence when it does get violent. But other than that, like it was a nice little love story with horror elements mixed in there. I think it's interesting that you guys said that like City of God was the most art house pick because I would say this was the most art house pick. Okay. Was it a love story though? I kind of think it was. Like from from the main from the kids the boys' point of view, it's definitely a love story. But I don't think that's what was going on. From the uh, vampire's standpoint. From the vampire standpoint, I think because he had that elderly. Or she had that elderly caretaker, and then I think she was just after another one, and that was going to be the kid. She's going to raise him to be that. I can see that interpretation of things. It makes me a little sadder to see it that way, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Going back to talking about it as an artsy movie, I would agree and say that that is a caveat for would-be viewers much like the frozen environment of the movie itself, this is a very understated, quiet, cold film. And if you really want a bunch of stuff to happen in your movies, this is not for you. <laughs> I mean, how many scenes are there? How many shots where it's just a character looking across a frozen wasteland? <laughs> or walking late at night, you see their breath. The score on this is pretty minimal. That's just life where they live, is looking at wastelands and being in the dark. The characters are very understated. All of them, from, from the kid getting bullied to the bullies themselves. They all come off as a bit numb. Numb like the cold. <laughs> Any negatives to this movie? Come on, Andrew, I know you want to say something. My, big, my biggest negative, I think, would be those CGI cats. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm watching the movie, and like, you, know, you see that the first cat that gets pissed off with Ellie, you know, it's like, okay, that's a real cat, you know, cool. Or at least it looked like a real cat. And then there was that one neighbor dude who had just like five or six cats or more. And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, I wonder how, how they're going to piss that many cats off all at once. And then it's like, oh, they'll just animate the cats. And so <laughs> I don't want to say it added a level of, like, unintentional humor, but it kind of did. Forgive me, Andrew, for a little inside joke, but John's going to appreciate this based on where we went to college. It's, it's almost like they farmed it out to the Academy of Art. <laughs> And actually, this movie came out in 2008. We were both there in 2008, John. Maybe they did. <laughs> yeah, a couple kids were probably... That was their final. And <laughs> they didn't get the job, but they still had to let it go. Were you in any class where you did see stuff coming in from productions where really they are just getting cheap work done by the school? 
Uh, I didn't have classes that did that, but, like, I had classes where I had to go to the labs and got to see that happening. Like, because Pixar all the time would, like, shop stuff out. Because I was in the visual effects program, there were definitely a few short films that I think they were just little pet projects of reputable VFX people, and they would just send it to the Academy and have us fight for a chance to get our shot included. Even though we weren't getting paid, so it's like, why? Yeah, it's that unpaid intern slavery bullshit. Andrew, let's get back to your criticisms for Let the Right One In. I agree with you that subtitles are not an issue for this one, because there isn't a lot of dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) So, if you hate reading, you might like this movie. But if you're not into slow art house, it is just a shot of falling snow or it's a shot of an empty playground or a frozen lake. I felt like the ending was pretty great, though. The pool sequence was pretty awesome. It was a good payoff. Like, it was finally, that's what I wanted to see, you know? What I love about that pool scene is that it really encapsulates what the movie's about and how the story's told. There's violence going on, but the camera's in the pool, and you only get hints of what's happening above the pool, so you understand what's going on, but it doesn't go out of its way to treat you to a gore fest, which I appreciated not being the hugest fan of horror movies. Yeah, because I'm in the same boat with you about horror films. I liked how you saw the kids feet just kind of dragged over the top because you're like oh man okay he's getting killed so you know they're all getting messed up slaughtered literally mutilated and so it was nice not to see that necessarily it's just kind of like the kid in the uh, oscar's view of the whole violence i mean he's just under the water so it was different perspectives on the violence which was nice now we go to the raid and I did not do this on purpose, Andrew, but it's going to feel like it. Uh, This is John's first appearance on the show, even though it might not be the first one our listeners are listening to. And I got to say, I'm not stroking him because this is his first time, but I said earlier, these movies, not only are they chronological, they're also in order of how I would recommend them for people. The Raid is just, to me, hands down, out of three the best subtitled movie if you're going to try to get into them. Are you basking in in my praise right now, John? Do you feel it? Do you feel the love? I literally have stage lights on me that make me feel so good about this right now. (laughs) I'm closing my eyes. I'm there with you right now. Can you feel me holding (laughs) your hand? (laughs) I feel it. I feel it. (laughs) So, uh, John, talk a little bit about this movie. So, The Raid might be one of the best action movies ever made in general. So, already, it's punching up high. It's doing good. It came out in, let me check my notes, 2011. Good year. Packers won the Super Bowl that year, but that's besides the point. It's the tale of a SWAT team going into a crime lord's den and trying to get him out. And the den itself is a multi-story duplex, which every resident is also part of this crime syndicate. And it starts slow, but once it hits, it's you're strapped to a rocket and you're gone. The dialogue is just enough that 
it has the twists and turns, but the meat of it is action, and you can sell an action movie to anybody. This dialogue is so utilitarian, it feels like it's only there to help justify the plot, which isn't a bad thing. I'm, I'm happy that they took those steps. But that's such a great detail, like you said, John, that all the residents of this place are also criminals because they, they have to answer that question of why would everybody, almost everybody in this building, why would they be trying to kill these cops? Well, there you go. That's why. Fun fact, it's a prequel. It's the best kind of prequel because the director wanted to make the second movie and the studio wasn't going to give him the money. So he made this to prove he could make the second movie. And so this is a prequel to the movie he wanted to make, and it just happened to come out before the movie he wanted to make. For this genre, he proved that 100%. Talking about the, the dialogue, what I thought of almost immediately after the first action scene is you could take away the subtitles. You could have them say nothing and just play it as a silent film, and it would work equal. Almost, you know, obviously it's, it's better if you have the sound effects and the score. But as a silent movie, this thing totally works. It does, because it's, it's strong points of choreography and cinematography, and they're just beautiful. Like, it's like uh, the scene when they're in the building in the dark, the team is trying to figure out where uh, potential threats are, and the camera pans up, and in the darkness above them on another balcony are a bunch of dudes with shotguns. And when that starts going off, it is just one of the most beautiful gunfights I've ever seen. And this thing, man, <laughs> I had to laugh a little bit. So this movie opens. We see our, our main character getting up, starting his day, doing some martial arts training, like all uh, Indonesians do, I suppose. And <laughs> it cuts from that to them in uh, the back of a truck with a bunch of guys, this SWAT team. And I have to admit to you right now, I had a little bit of face blindness, <laughs> and I couldn't recognize who the main character was. I was like, which one of these guys that all look alike in their outfits, which guy is the guy I just saw? That's valid. You're going to have that with any SWAT team, really. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. Andrew, what did you think of this movie? Okay, so, full disclosure. A lot of that going on this episode. <laughs> yeah, so. It's good full disclosure. I, I think this will only make John feel better. When you told me that this was the assignment, Frank, you had already sent me yours and John's pick. If I did not know what you guys had picked, I also would have chosen the raid. The first time I saw it, I bought the movie blind because I had heard about all the action in it and just how it was one of the best action movies ever, and I had to see it. And just watch it in its in the original language. You don't need to know what's going on. It doesn't matter <laughs> what's going on, really. Because the main character, he's just there. All the story involves everybody else around him. It is a perfect start to a, watching foreign movies. Because it's some of the best action I've seen in a foreign flick. I would have chosen this if I didn't have to choose something else. Ooh, that is some high praise right there. I'm glad we can all agree on this. Uh, yes, you're welcome, party people. You are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into some of the stuff that makes this movie so unique and refreshing. 
I was groaning a little bit at the beginning of this movie because I there were some scenes where it just got into shaky cam, and I was like, "Oh my god, don't let it be shaky cam hell!" And then to my great shock, once it got into the action and the martial arts, all of a sudden the scenes were so articulate and you could read everything happening, and the camera seemed to move less in those moments. It gets more frantic than the camera's steady. It's visual storytelling at its finest, and it's in choreography. The choreography is so good. John, do you have a long history with martial arts movies? Well, I feel like everyone does. Uh, Bruce Lee uh, is uh, watching all his movies, and, you know, America loves Chuck Norris, right? (laughs) I know I did when I was seven, eight years old. Anybody remember Sidekicks? (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> with the kid from sequest <laughs> yeah i grew up on martial arts movies uh street fighter with sunny chiba best of the best that seminal series oh that classic eric roberts film <laughs> since my childhood i really haven't gotten into martial arts too much while i was watching this i did start to feel a little bit of fatigue with how long some of these action scenes went on. But there was always the intellectual part of me that really appreciated. It felt like a throwback to older martial arts movies, the choreography, the the attention to detail and effort put into it. And they really tried to show me every way you could punch and kick and throw somebody around. It's a rough movie at times. It's pretty gory. It makes it less cheesy in a way when it when it's that savage. But it's also different because when I do think of martial arts movies, I think of like that kind of cheese factor of, you know, people getting the living crap beat out of them and they might just have a bloody nose at the end of the fight. <laughs> and this one, yeah, he's stabbed with a fluorescent tube. There's a guy who's killed on broken door bits. It's a lot of creative killing in this movie. John, what was your favorite fight sequence? Well, the, the main threat was the henchman, the, the, the mad dog. I think it starts with the way the guy looks. Like, he just kind of looks, he looks like a tech nerd, almost. You don't expect that out of him. And then, but they show through the whole movie uh, how terrible he is. And then they pay it off, too. They actually pay off uh, his badassery by having the main character barely making it out. It is cool that he's a bit diminutive, but no less deadly. And he does remind me of somebody I would have seen at the computer lab at Academy of Art. (laughs) (laughs) Some of those guys were probably deadly martial artists, and I didn't even notice. I gotta render the CGI dog real quick and then beat up 20 dudes in an alley. Andrew, your favorite fight scene? It would probably be the one where uh, the main character ran into the group of guys with the machetes. I always like it when those types of movies where like someone gets disarmed and then you see the weapon sitting there for a while. Because sometimes I'm watching these movies thinking, like, all right, there's a machete right there. Watch this person not grab it because, you know, the henchmen have to be complete boobs. But then like, they're, you know, everyone's picking up the machetes when they're on the ground. That's the great thing, I think, about the choreography for this one. The henchmen aren't treated like idiots they're lethal in their own way it's just the main character just happens to be you know more of a badass and it shows their attention to continuity because in some other cheaper movies people would be dropping weapons and then you'd never see them in the scene after that 
<laughs> exactly. So it's just a really, really well-made action flick. I always like it when side characters get their moment to shine. And it's a point in the movie where it's our main character, the older guy, and one other guy are still around for the movie. I guess they enter a, a drug lab. The choreography of these three separate fights happening and so much movement and people running along the tops of tables and I was paying attention and it rewarded me with the detail. Even when you're seeing the main character kick ass, you can look in the background and see the other guys on his team fighting as well. So it really gives you that sense that there's just frenetic action happening the whole time in this scene, even though the camera is focused on one person at a time. They do such a good job of making everyone worthwhile, or at least punchable, with all the, all the henchmen that seem to be coming out of nowhere. Any final words on this for somebody who wants to get into subtitles? I'd say this is definitely the right place to start, because like we, we, like we said, it's, you can watch it silent. The director's French, I believe, or American, I'm not sure which one, but he is... Welsh. Welsh? BS. But yeah, so he, it's, it, is, it is a Western director making an Eastern film, and Indonesia doesn't get enough love. Rarely do I make any absolutes, but I don't see how, if you like martial arts films, how you could not put the raid in the upper echelon of the genre. Yeah, I can agree with you on that. Yeah. Forgive me, John. Did you uh, did you see the raid when it first came out? Uh, yes, I did. It was a pretty big deal here because I lived here in the city, San Francisco, by then, so it was easy to find in a theater. Yeah, I was. Uh, I think I was still living there as well. Did you get a group together to go see it? Uh, I'm gonna say no because we didn't see it together, and I don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Films from around the world. Brazil, Sweden, Indonesia. Pick your genre. Gangster flicks, horror, martial arts action. Price of admission, some light reading. Unless you select City of God. Seriously, if you didn't pay attention to what we said about that movie, there's no way you'll survive its rapid fire subtitles. <laughs>